Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by The Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here, in Keep Canada Weird, my good pal, handsome Aaron Airport, and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which we recorded on the evening of September 8th, 2022, Aaron and I consider if a donkey is a good fit for a mare. We give our opinion on Newfoundland's new sugary drink tax. We speculate on the motive behind the recent beating of a pharmacist in Ontario, and we review a list of allegedly true Canadian stereotypes. So let's get into it. Handsome Aaron Airport. It's the middle of the week. We're connected in a Zoom call and we're live on YouTube. That could only mean one thing. It's time to keep Canada weird. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's a uh, we're recording this on the eighth of September, um, mm-hmm. which is a big day uh, in the middle of a big week for me. Big week because here in Nova Scotia, it's the first week of school. So that, as a father of two, that's big for you, yeah. That's yeah, big. father of two sons, that means a mm-hmm. lot of changes around my house, uh, a lot of packing lunches and carrying school bags and making sure water bottles are full. Yeah, yeah. For me, it only means. Uh, it means very little, except I have to kind of slow down in school zones. Yeah, that's certainly. I don't like that. Have you noticed any difference with the traffic? I've noticed it in Halifax. Like when school. No, it's are... always like when I when I take the main street out of my town, I pass by several schools. So, in the summertime, you just cruise right through. But uh, you know, when September kicks back in. Uh, you're slowing down, you're stopping, you're screaming at the kids, you're telling them they're wasting their time going to school, mm-hmm. uh, throwing them. bottles at the crossing guards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a big week because of school, but again, September 8th today is a big day as the, uh, I was going to say the nation, but it's not a Canadian thing. I guess the world is mourning mm-hmm. slash commenting on the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Does the, the does the monarchy mean anything to you? Do you follow? Do you I have to be anything? honest. Um, the monarchy means less to me than going back to school does to me. Really? Yeah. So I, I have no attachment at all to the monarchy. I don't get it. Uh, you know, it's I certainly, you know, send my condolences to the family of Queen Elizabeth. But I didn't know her. No, but so uh, no he, emotional response from me. Yeah, even that though. When when you hear of someone passing away and they're like ninety five, 
it's the way I see it is it's uh, that's a great life. Y- you got your money's worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you got a really good deal. If I and and she relatively, as far as I could tell publicly, she seemed to have lived a healthy life up until the end as she aged. So yeah, there's not really much to say about that. And um, there there is kind of one thing though is you may not know this, but there's an interesting connection between this show, specifically the launching of Nighttime and the early marketing of Nighttime and Queen Elizabeth. If you, I don't know if you recall this, but just as I was starting this podcast, as I was about to release my first episode, I uh, found like a journal on the ground. And oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I was working on my first episode and launching the show i found this journal as i was walking down the street and i started flipping through it thinking it was like some kid threw it away on the way home from school or something and as i was reading it i was like how weird like language they're using the way they're writing because it looked like a new book i didn't think it was old but then it started to get into like almost like diaries there'd be a date and the author of the journal who on the inside cover it had her name like it was like eva grade six or eight or something but anyway uh, as it was going like a diary she was talking about how it was like king george and princess elizabeth maybe it was king henry whatever the king was king george and princess elizabeth will be passing through nova scotia by train i hope to see them all this stuff and as i'm reading through it uh nowhere was it dated as far as the year it would just be like you know may 8th blah 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 but as i read that specific chapter or that specific entry i'm thinking like there is no king and i'm pretty sure princess elizabeth is the queen uh and when i got at home i showed it to mrs nighttime who is much keener than i and she's immediately like whoa this is super old where did you get this uh i put a post up online with some photos of the book um, that I found and that led to CBC contacting me. The journalist was Anjali Patil and they did a story uh, about this journal and they kind of helped me find the author of it. And it was, it ended up being a mystery because we reunited the author with the journal that she wrote 46 years ago. Uh, but we have no idea how the journal ended up on the side of the street by my house in like pristine condition. So that remained a mystery, but long story short, I was in the news because of that journal just as I launched the show. So most podcasts that would start with, you know, 15 downloads, I had the advantage of starting with like, you know, 800 downloads because Mm -hmm. of this. So that is a Queen Elizabeth's connection to the nighttime podcast. Now to a tale of once lost, now found. A journal written more than 60 years ago was found on the side of a road in Halifax. The finder set out on a quest to reunite the book with its owner. And he did just that. The CBC's Anjali Patil has the story. Hello, Eva. Jordan Bonaparte is returning Eva Smith McKay's grade 8 journal. He found it while walking home from work on Joseph Howe Drive in Halifax. McKay was 13 years old and living in Milford Station when she wrote it. The journal was part of an English class assignment. It's just amazing to me that it lasted this long. McKay, who turned 77 years old later this month, says her cousin told her the notebook had been found. As she flipped through the yellowed pages, she recognized some names. Internet detectives on the website Reddit helped Bonaparte track McKay down. I'm glad to return it to her. I had a a great time reading it and seeing a a glimpse of life in the 50s. Um, I hope she shares it with her family and they enjoy it as much as I'd enjoy reading my grandmother's journals if they were ever found. 
The two posed for a photo before saying goodbye. Eva McKay says she's looking forward to sharing her journal with her family, particularly her two teenage grandkids. As for how her journal ended up on the side of the road on Joseph Howe Drive, that's still a mystery. Angelique Patil, CBC News, Cole Harbor. You know, you asked me specifically, do I have a, you know, any kind of feeling about it? You don't. I certainly, if I had a choice to keep her alive, I would. <laughs> um, yeah, well. I don't I have that choice and, and, and she died today. And again, I, you know, send condolences to the family and, and anyone who is affected by that death. But mm -hmm. yeah, to me, it's, it's just like when you hear any celebrity or, you know, well-known politician of some kind passes away. Yeah. You know, that that's it. I don't really have any stories about her or memories. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. Again, I just think, you know, you're 95, you pass away. You good good on you. Yeah. You got the warranties long expired um, and, and you did it. So I guess we will uh, we will honor Queen Elizabeth with that. And now we can say long live the king. Long live the king. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, that is. It seems weird to say. How right? old is he? I don't know, but he's up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, if she was 90 something, he's uh, he's certainly like that's her kid so he's 70 something i'm thinking he might and, even be older than that i don't know yeah well anyway we we could google it but i'm not going to google something on air that's like one of the rules of the show is we will not oh really google things i yet. wasn't made privy to that rule i i didn't know have you ever googled something during one of these yeah events? just googling my own name and stuff and <laughs> looking up random okay. things not connected to like what we're talking about just you know, sports stats and whatever else. Okay. Well, let's move on. Um, we did what we had to do to open the episode, but now we got to do what we got to do to keep Canada weird. Mm -hmm. We have a collection of stories uh, from coast to coast, sea to shining sea that are all over the spectrum. We have the story of a donkey who's running for mayor. We're going to talk about a tax on sugar in Newfoundland which is fascinating. Uh, we're going to comment on a beaten pharmacist in Ontario, and then we're going to wrap everything up by addressing some Canadian stereotypes that just so happen to be true. Yeah, we're going to do it. Uh, let's get into it here. Where do we start this, Aaron? We got, we got a lot to get into. Well, we could start with the donkey. I think that's suitable. Um, we talked last week about uh, two mayoral races. Uh, one was the, the competing brothers who hadn't talked in 20-ish, 30-ish mm -hmm. years who were running for mayor. We also talked about the fella who was running for mayor that a large part of his platform was on bicycling. Uh, after a press conference, his bicycle was stolen. And he received condolences from another mayoral candidate who had like some component of her RV <laughs> stolen. Uh Tonight we got a we got something altogether different. Here's oh yeah, about. this is a wild one. Quite literally. Did you mean that as a pun? None of your business. Okay. Well, here's what's going on. And some people want him to go all the way to the to Ottawa to the legislature there, but I tell him he has to start at the bottom and work up. This is Lobo. He's a donkey in Grand Forks who's on his way to making a run in the city's mayoral election. As a joke, I put it on Facebook. What do you think about Lobo for mayor? Well, the 
comments are still coming in. Like some people will say, I'll get behind Lobo, or um, I hope he takes a bite out of crime. Um, it goes on and on. Lobo's official nomination will be submitted by the end of the week by his owner, otherwise known as his campaign manager. And with his poised and professional attitude, O'Connor says he'd be a perfect fit to run the city of approximately 4,000 people. He observes everything and he's not quick to rush into it. He waits, he studies, he, he's a good judge of character. While it's too early to know who Lobo will be running against in the race for mayor, his campaign manager is very hopeful he'll come out with a win. We have a really good chance of winning. Yes, we do. I think right now there's only one other person running for mayor, possibly two. Um, Lobo's got a good chance. If Lobo doesn't get to run for mayor, O'Connor hopes he can be a part of the council in some way, even as a backup mayor. The election is scheduled this October. Victoria Famia, Global News in Grand Forks. Lobo the donkey mm -hmm. for mayor. Mm -hmm. You think he got a chance? No. Well, if it's a small town. I think they said 4,000 people. If he's only running against one other person, if they suck, like, why wouldn't you just vote for the donkey? I think I, I would vote for the donkey just to see what happens if a donkey wins. If the donkey is actually on the ballot, yes, I would too. But... I don't really think the donkey can actually make it to the ballot, or maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they've gotten as far as to officially have the donkey on there. I think it's still in the social media, you know, buzz stage right now. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, they kind of put the cart before the horse. They kind of put the celebration before the donkey a little bit because they they're already on the news uh, talking about this donkey running. And then the kind of the news clip sort of ends with like, and they're going to put him on the, she's going to like register him or whatever. Mm -hmm, her, mm -hmm. you know, the owner slash campaign manager. And she's kind of, I guess she has the choice to either be like, it was just a joke or she can double down on it. And I think she chose to double down on it. Yeah. And I assume she'll try to actually get the donkey on the ballot, but, um, I don't think at the end of the day they'll actually let that happen. But what would they do? Let's say, you know, theoretically, hypothetically, uh, the donkey gets on there and wins. What do they do? Because they let the donkey on. What does a mayor actually do? Like, what decisions do they make? Well, I don't I'm, know. It seems <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. And it seems like so many political kind of positions and stuff. It's it's like there's someone at the top and they're kind of the face of it and the representative. But then there's all these people under underneath that actually do stuff and make the the decisions like a mayor probably has someone whose job it is to like, you know, figure out the roads and deal with that sort of thing. And then another person who does all the financial stuff. And I wonder if a donkey could actually do the job just by allowing all these other underlings to just kind of manage it on their own. Let's say, and if there is a decision to be made, they could just have two buckets of like corn or something. And we'll have like one bucket of carrots and one bucket of corn. And maybe a little note next to each, like, yeah, yeah. Approve it or approve or, this budget or, 
you know not approve the budget not approve, yeah we clearly know a lot about what a mayor would decide on and then all the politicians would be behind the bucket like come here lobo eat this yeah. lobo and yeah, no there'd be a rule that no it's it's um oh, it would have to be two foods that they they know the donkey loves both foods so it's going to depend on what mood oh. i guess you could do it like that with it and have a groundhog run for mayor and then if the, if the groundhog sees his shadow today, then the budget is approved. Hmm. I, if I, not, then yeah. not approved. <laughs> I just picture this this scene where, let's say, like half the people in the room's jobs depend on this decision. You know, maybe it's whether they're going to finance some kind of thing. And everybody's sitting in the boardroom, all these politicians the, they have the two bowls with the, each decision next to it, and they're just watching in terror, sweating bullets as the donkey Lobo just kind of saunters mm -hmm. over towards them. I think that could be cool, but it seems more like, like so many things we talk about. It seems like it'd be a better movie than um, it would be a great uh, legislative Disney movie or Pixar or something, but. I think in the office, though, they would have to have a lot of hay. The hay budget would really go up for the city. Is hay, hay is not expensive. I think a mayor probably spends more on like coffee and catering and airplanes and stuff. Well, the not donkey will have to travel stuff. to go to meetings, but I just mean like in the office. Like the donkey doesn't need to be there, so they could just have it. Well, then either does a human as well, but. It's a town of 4,000 people. If you get any like a random sampling of four thousand people in the in in any group, what are the chances that someone in there is like fit to be mayor anyway? Maybe there's just not someone in that community that's, you know, qualified or have the kind of skill set to do it. And so they're like, and maybe that's why they'll vote for Lobo. I don't know. I've never been to this town. I don't know a lot about it. But well, they, they have a four thousand people. I mean, there's got to be at least a good handful that are that are quite intelligent yeah but i think it takes more than being intelligent to to actually run something but and be able to manage the would you people. okay so what would you who would you rather run the city than a donkey or a somewhat intelligent person who may not have the usual qualifications to, to run a city yeah i guess that's uh that's not so much a question for me because there's not a donkey running here, but I think that's going to be really the ultimate question on the ballot in this community come election day in October. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting race. And are donkeys fast runners? No, they're notoriously like slow and dumb. Yeah. And so this may be the only race a donkey ever wins. <laughs> um. Or just another race that a donkey lost. Let's get to the next story. <laughs> uh, we uh, talked huh. We talked a little bit about uh, donkeys eating hay. We talked a lot about a donkey. Let's now talk about people eating sugar and what role the government should have within that. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Priceline. 
Getting that sugar rush has gotten more expensive in Newfoundland and Labrador. From sodas to slushies, anyone who buys sugary drinks will now have to pay an extra tax. It sucks that it's happening because prices are getting so high for everything right now. It's part of the province's Rethink Your Drink campaign, encouraging people to make healthier choices. It's important. We have one of the, you know, the poorest outcomes in health in the country, and we want to be one of the best in the country in the next 10 years. They can sugarcoat this any way they want. Critics call it a cash grab that will unfairly target low-income earners, since for the most part, sugary drinks are less expensive than healthier options. They also feel the government should instead be focusing on ending boil water advisories in dozens of rural communities. If we want a healthy community and, a and make people healthier, then one of those key components is clean drinking water. Doctors say Canada's first sugar tax will make a difference in combating obesity and preventing chronic diseases and hope to see it rolled out in other provinces. The sugar that's in sugary drinks is very rapidly absorbed. All those extra calories that you're consuming in the beverage don't get so don't register on your brain, but they certainly register on your waistline. So it's a big driver of the obesity epidemic. The new tax is expected to generate $9 million a year for Newfoundland and Labrador. Money that will help fund school breakfast and lunch programs and a physical activity tax credit. So Newfoundland is charging a tax on, it seems specifically, sugary drinks. So I think you're in, you're free with candy. You're, you're out of it. But for sugary drinks, a tax. I, mm. I have mixed emotions about this. For, for one, it's like one thought that I have is that if you are making the decision, you, you make personal decisions about what you're going to eat and put in your body and all this stuff. And a part of me is like the government should not be involved in that. But at the same time, if the money, if the tax is going to fund initiatives to uh, improve health and educate people on, you know, nutrition and I don't know, maybe I'm okay with it. Kind of like I think about with cigarettes, you know, like a lot of the tax pay, the taxes on cigarettes go towards initiatives to get people to quit smoking. And I think for the most part, a lot of that's worked. A lot less people smoke now than they did when I was you know, a teenager, at least it seems that I kind of see this as like the sugary drink tax is almost like a step towards the way they regulate cigarettes, but I don't know if it's appropriate. I'm, I'm my, the jury's out for me. What do you, what do you think of this? Right. I don't think a tax is, especially, you know, 20 cents per liter, whatever the tax is the, at, at its current shape is not going to stop anyone from buying a soda pop or you no. know a, an energy a high sugar energy drink or whatever mm -hmm. it's it's but you know like you say if the, if the money is is being used that's collected from it for really good reasons and it's going towards really good programs then yeah tax it and put the money towards whatever that that is good you know if it's just going into the pocket of the government then i can't really get on board with that but. yeah but if it's going to fund initiatives based on like healthy eating and nutrition and stuff then i i, I can see it I, I think it makes sense but i just yeah I'm, I'm i don't really... think 20 cents per liter is going to deter anyone from purchasing a sugary drink yeah exactly um if but then where do you stop you know We'll go cereal. Do you move to cereal next? Like, if you're not 
if you're not buying Weetabix, you have to pay 20 cents more per mm. box. Well, what about this, though? If um, In that article that we heard, they talked about how a decision like this can um, can disproportionately affect low-income people where oftentimes a sugary drink, like a can of pop, is cheaper than like a apple juice or, you know, what would be, I guess, typically a healthier drink. And the same thing goes with food. Like if you yeah. eat crappy food, it's generally cheaper than getting a salad or something. Certainly what in a lot of um, categories, it is cheaper to, you know, buy something that's, uh, you know, uh, not as good for you. But in the, in the case of sugary drinks, though, water is bottled water is is oftentimes cheaper than mm -hmm. than you know a, a bottle of pop or some kind of a a, a big sugar and iced tea or whatever yeah i in that statement that i recounted there that comes from the opposition critic who is like on the opposite side of the legal yeah. of, of the political spectrum so they're going to be critical anyway of it so i yeah i don't even know if that statement is really true Although 20 cents to low income person is more money than 20 cents to high income person. So I guess unless they had the tax on a graded scale based on your income, which is just crazy to do on like a can of pop or something. Yeah. Like if it's sticking to items that again, like if you need to get a drink, there, there's bottled water that is that is much cheaper than mm -hmm. than any any bottle of pop, pop. Or, or whatever. But so. But why not use if they're going to like you, you said earlier, like, where is this going? Is cereal going to be next? Why not? If they're going to roll out something like this, why not do it in a way that the stuff that's bad for you and high sugar and crap tax that and use that money to lower the cost of the things that are better for you? I guess it's it'd be complicated to do, but it's it seems like if government's going to get involved and how what people are eating and what they pay for bad decisions versus good decisions like they should have lower the tax on healthier things and raise the tax on crappy things and use any yeah. tax revenue that comes from it to educate people on the benefits of buying the better thing yeah yeah and i don't know i'm, I'm sure there's a lot of complicated webs that have to be managed when yeah. you are trying to decide how and what to tax but. exactly but and then at this the government only has so much uh resources to put towards making these decisions is this a decision that requires attention like is there a need uh that justifies spending time and effort and poking around enough to decide the best way to do this um but i will say based on the price of food and the options that you see um, when you go into like a, a grocery store or something, it's a, I, I think food is going to become a bigger deal as prices rise. So maybe it makes sense for the government to kind of yeah. step in a little bit. I want to sidebar a little bit from this. Okay. We, we just, and, and this is kind of a conflict between the people who only listen to the audio version of this versus who watch this uh, live recording on YouTube, and they get to see the news um, story that you played for that. Mm -hmm. So you have the actual 
audio and video of the news clip mm -hmm. on, on our YouTube recording here. So now I've noticed this a number of times whenever obesity is being discussed in a news story is they have stock footage of people who they deem to be obese. Okay. So what I'm wondering is, A, do they have the permission of these people to be using them as obesity stock footage? Examples. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, obesity rates in Canada now have gone up 25%, and then they show a man walking down the street <laughs> who they've determined visually appears to be obese and it's usually you don't see his face it's often like kind of like shoulders down so you just see his like belly or well they showed in that clip they showed a girl sitting in a pool and they zoomed in on for lack of a better term her stomach rolls <laughs> are you serious i didn't notice that um well i don't know about this pool video but generally well, it's the one you just showed i that did that part didn't stand out to me it was uh, the first person reason. they that in their and their obesity stock footage was this girl who's there enjoying the pool on a hot day and they're and they <laughs> i i find that disgusting the that fact that something. they're doing that and they don't need to show people yeah, we all know what they mean, right? It's like, if you say to me, obesity rates have risen 25%, I get it. I don't need a visual. You can keep the camera on the journalist that's talking. Yeah, yeah. Or just show an arrow going up on a graph. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you really need to hit the point home. But this that's absurd. Like, I don't know if you could roll that again or have people just look it up. I know we're anti-Google on this show, but... <laughs> if, if you could give the people exactly what the Google, but I find that uh, absolutely absurd that that they get that they get away with that. Yeah, that is that's what the government needs to get involved. You know, so some people do have weight on, but it's but it's not in an unhealthy way, and it's and it's and I don't know. I find that extremely offensive. I think it needs to end. <clears throat> yeah, we're gonna get we got to get that video pulled. Um, uh, yeah, all all obesity stock footage has to go. So this will be the end of the sidebar. Getting back to the story, Newfoundland is the first province to roll out this tax on sugary drinks. It's expected that if successful, it'll be rolled out in other parts of the country. Um, Newfoundland, in, in the article, it said they expect to make nine or, to, or collect nine million dollars in taxes from that, which for uh, you know government in a province that's not a tremendous amount of money but no. when you're talking about funding education like ads on tv or in magazines yeah or if it's funding like an after school or like a, a healthy lunch program which is schools. very yeah and i talked at the beginning of this episode it's the first week of school the whole idea of uh uh, of funding these school school programs like a lot of kids will show up at school they don't have a lunch packed or they didn't eat breakfast and at the school that my kid goes to, I, I believe the P, the parent teacher association raises the money to have like drinks and bagels and stuff for the kids who come. And a lot of them use those services because their families just can't afford to keep a full fridge. Mm -hmm. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm all for taxing the people who if can If that's afford. where the money is going, then yeah, tax the pop, yeah. tax yeah. the iced tea. Yeah, and have some fresh fruit for the children who... Yeah don't have uh don't have it at home or in their lunch bag but absolutely 
All right. So uh, I think overall our decision seems to be we agree with it if it's done responsibly and effectively and they should pull any ads that show examples of obese people. Yeah, so the government of Newfoundland will be happy to know that we've given them full permission. Yeah, to you, you can move ahead. Sugary drinks. Move ahead on it. Move ahead. The donkey has gone to the carrot bucket, <laughs> which says tax sugary drinks. Mm -hmm. Big change of tone here. We've talked about a donkey running for mayor. We talked about stock footage in taxes on sugary drinks. We're now going to step into the dark, seedy underbelly of COVID and vaccines and harassment and assault on pharmacists in relation to the prior words that I said here. Something uh, we've talked a lot about groups that oppose um, the public safety mandates and oppose vaccines. Um, we talked about Queen Romana and her people who've all but said they want to kill people involved in delivering the vaccines to children. Uh, there's a story that I that popped up in the news just this past week uh, related to a pharmacist who was assaulted seemingly in a random attack uh, but it doesn't seem very random because the person assaulting him is screaming and shouting about vaccines. So here's what happens. Pharmacist Ramsey Shaker says he's never been afraid to go to work until recently. I'm watching my back now. Wednesday morning before opening up, he was getting coffee nearby when he was attacked. Someone hit me in the head right here. Shaker believes he was targeted because of the logo on his jacket. Screamed at my face and he said, I know you, you've been giving the F vaccine to everyone. Shaker says he was punched three times in the back of his head, in his stomach and legs. The alleged attack continued until a bystander and an off-duty police officer stepped in to help, leading to the man's arrest. Shaker still had to go to work. One of his colleagues says he was in rough shape. By about 1, 1.30, he started coughing and vomiting blood. That's when we had to close the doors and call paramedics to take him to the hospital. Shaker suffered several fractures to the face. In this area. Waterloo Regional Police say a 28-year-old Kitchener man assaulted four people and damaged two vehicles. He's been charged with several criminal offenses, including three counts of assault, assaulting a peace officer, and two counts of mischief under 5,000. I want to help get the justice that needs to be served. Police are looking into the motive and whether the incident was targeted. The Ontario Pharmacy Association says assaults on pharmacists have been on the rise since the start of the pandemic. While there may be disagreements around healthcare policy and things around mandates does not give anybody the right to uh, treat anyone with disrespect. The message I want all pharmacists to be careful. He says regardless of his pain and fear, Shaker will continue doing the job he loves. I, 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 I gotta say, if I worked in the medical field now, especially if it involved giving vaccines, I think I'd be I would be worried, you know, because the 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 environment that surrounds that I guess not so much now as it was like six 
months, a year ago, but man, some of the stuff I see online freaks me out about how strong some people's feelings are about the man, the vaccines, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, it's one thing to make the decision, like, I'm not going to get it and I'm not going to get, give it to my kids. But the idea of attacking a pharmacist, if that is what the motivation was, because it, some parts of that story kind of made me question if that was the motivation. But if that is what the motivation was, that's, yeah, that says something. Yeah. I, and again, like whether, you know, what, depending on what side of the fence you fall on in terms of vaccines, if you don't want one, don't get one mm. to, to attack somebody over it is very wrong. And Certainly. But I, I think uh, to play devil's advocate, there would be people who would say, um, I don't want one, but my employer and the government and the airline, like whoever is making me like that would be kind of the what someone who would argue that point would say to you. But I still think your issue, like if you feel that way, your issue isn't with the pharmacist who's giving the vaccines. It's with, mm. you know, the government and the mandates. And they kind of say that in in the article. It's like it's one thing to have strong feelings about the public health measures but it's a it, but it in no way does it make it okay to i would like I, i'd say it doesn't even make it okay to be rude to the pharmacist let no, alone attack no, buddy the pharmacist coming out of the, is just doing their job and it's not and you know it's it's and it's, it's, an, it's, it's, and it's an obvious thing i mean this is this is obvious you know whether whether you're pro vaccine or against vaccines you know mm. it, it's just obvious that there's no justification for attacking somebody mm -hmm. Uh, but they got the guy and the, where it gets interesting is it says that this, like, I don't know what it was, 25 year old man or something. He, he attacked multiple people. It was like four people. One of them was a, a peace officer. So I don't know if that's like, you know, if he resisted arrest and like punched the cop or something, but the article kind of makes it sound like it was a targeted attack against the pharmacist. But there were other people that were attacked. Were they before the pharmacist or after? And maybe he was just attacking random people and happened to notice one of them was had a jacket on of a pharmacy and he started shouting stuff about maybe. it. Maybe, yeah. I'm wondering what Tim Hortons' role is in all this. Yeah, because they interviewed the they pharmacist. They seem to really prominently feature Tim Hortons. And do you think that's a coincidence? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, it's the article is... The pharmacist is like they when they introduce him in the video, he's walking out of Tim Hortons. Then they interview him with Tim Hortons behind him. And they mention Tim Hortons in the story, too. Like, yeah, what is up with that? I don't know. Like, there's a Tim Hortons everywhere. Why is that even? That's like really focusing on, you know, if there was an attack in the park and then focusing on the tree for some reason. Yeah. The, yeah. This one particular tree. But I but I think generally when you see stuff on the news and on tv don't they try to like avoid having like brands and stuff on there unless they needed to like i could see if the story actually involved if the story was uh, involved tim horton in, in some meaningful way you would think they could just move the camera a little bit so tim horton isn't directly in the background you know have him leaning against his car yeah it seems suspicious to me i don't think the conspiracy is in the vaccines the conspiracy is in what is Tim Hortons up to? Like, is this a way oh, well, you that know, they are looking to kind of secretly advertise? Let's talk this out a bit. Because I will tell you, 
if I post anything that is divisive and controversial. So if I if I made a post on Facebook and I said, you know, here's my new episode and I put a link to it. I don't know, 5,000 people will see that. If I made a post on Facebook that said, I support vaccine mandates, people would go nuts. And instead of 5,000 people seeing it, people would be in the comments arguing and it would make it so that instead of 5,000 people seeing it, 50,000 people would see it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that whatever causes that, whatever psychological or sociological thing makes people kind of a, attracted to something they don't like and argue it fuels so much content on the internet in media will put out articles that they know are going to make people freak out because it gets shared and commented on and people discuss it a really interesting kind of like guerrilla marketing idea would be to put out this like controversial kind of thing and just have yourself vet your business vaguely in the background the whole Mm -hmm. time I don't think it's a coincidence and I wouldn't put it past them. They, you know, they're getting into the pizza market now. They're experimenting all over the place. Tim Hortons is throwing everything against the wall. Um, Yeah, this is just the next step. They're like, pizza's not really doing it. Let's get into fake news. (laughs) Does anyone know a crisis actor? We've been experimenting in fake food for years now. Why don't we just get into fake news? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I hope it is fake news. Uh, I, I like that option better than this kind of sweet pharmacist man getting punched. Yeah, in the head a bunch yeah. Of times. And shame on Tim Hortons for doing this. Regardless of their role in it. Yeah, it seems like they're involved at least in some small capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and shame. Yeah, and we're on to them. <laughs> yeah, and we're on. Yeah, we get it. All right. So typically we focus our discussions on current news stories and we often end on something a little light. But what we're going to do this week is focus less on the stories. They're behind us now, but we got something big to wrap up the episode with. It's not a current news story. I guess we're going to dispel some myths, but we won't really be dispelling them. I think we're going to be proving them accurate. I came across an article online and I thought it would be perfect to discuss on this show. Uh, But anyway, the, the article is basically one of those lists that look at six Canadian stereotypes, but ones that happen to be true. And I come across articles and lists like this all the time. And they're generally just like clickbait kind of crap. This one's different though. They really make a good case and they back up their points with stats uh, and numbers to show that these stereotypes are in fact true. Before we get through, get start getting through them, did you have a chance to look at it? And if so, did any of this surprise you? No. Okay. I mean, yes, I looked at it. No, <laughs> it didn't surprise me. What, what is, when you think of Canada, what is a stereotype that comes into your mind? What is one? Well, the first you? one is, uh, it's cold here. Mm, yeah the second is everyone's nice okay yeah i hear those a lot um both of those uh that there's no crime and maybe that's or that there's very low crime and maybe that's just because i cover crime on the show a lot and i it gets me to talking to people about that idea but i but yeah the cold and the everybody is nice um another one i think is 
everybody is French Canadian. Like when you see a lot of TV shows, if they're international or American or whatever, and they have a, a Canadian, he sounds like he's from like, he's speaking English, but you can tell he's like from Quebec, like that kind of accent. Yeah, it's either that or it's the your hoser, you know, like that kind of that. Um, yeah, like where he's from. Uh, uh, what would that be like Winnipeg or something? I think that's I don't know if that's like more kind of an Ontario thing. I don't know. I, yeah, it's weird. It's I, weird. I know the voice you're talking about. I find it's it's either the French Canadian or that kind of voice. And, you know, people will say a boot, like as if mm -hmm. Canadians say a boot. You don't hear like I don't think we say that, but I think a French Canadian talking in English, they're a boat would kind of sound a little a boot. Maybe. I, like, I, I don't like, hear it myself, but there's certainly times where I have talked to people where they're like, oh, you say that. And so you, you pronounce that slightly different than, than we do. Uh, and uh, another one is we say a all the time. That one is totally true. I feel like I feel like everyone I know uses a as what would you call that? Like kind of an affirmative at the end of at the end of a sentence or something. I'd be like, you're going to the mall, right? Eh? or you're going to the mall, eh? you know, something. Yeah, like I that. guess I guess I probably would say it once in a while. Not often, though. Really? I say it constantly. I think I have a bit more yeah. of an accent than you. Yeah, I, I, I try to let my accent fall in a very non-regional dialect as much yeah. as possible i've tried and when you say non-regional like much like everywhere else different parts of canada have different accents associated with them someone from newfoundland sounds completely different than someone from i don't know alberta or anywhere else sure. on the planet yeah. basically but uh I, for years, I worked for an American company and people, and this is back when I was younger and I had a thicker accent then, and people would, almost every like phone call I got on with like someone from California would start with where I'm from and they would often get like, are you Scottish? Are you Irish? I would get that all the time. I'd say, no, East Coast. Yeah, the Cape Breton accent is a mishmash of, uh, of things, a very harsh accent. Yeah, it is. But I, I think I spent years in my adult life trying to kind of claw it back as much as possible and come across mm -hmm. neutral. But that said, I'll be a guest on someone else's podcast who has more of an American audience or something. And I can just see the comments like, I can't believe his accent. Like they say, I can't believe he's shut him down. Yeah. Uh, it's well, it's I'd, too harsh. I can't handle it. Yeah. Well, let's get into it here. Um, the first Canadian stereotype that may be true is that we're all about maple syrup that we love maple syrup i didn't know this was a canadian stereotype but that now that i say that everybody i know i think likes maple syrup and it's kind of like a common who doesn't like maple syrup i mean anyone in the world right yeah yeah if you're having pancakes anywhere in the world you're having maple syrup on it you would think, yeah, but not I guess, necessarily. But that's that's probably the most common thing you would put on pancakes. I would I, assume. Yeah, I think that's the only time I have maple syrup. Oh man, I put it on it. I I love putting on like sausages. Sausages, yeah, but only if I'm having sausages with pancakes. Oh no, I would make sausages or ham or bacon, and I would put maple syrup on it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe Canada. Maybe it's not that we're 
nuts about maple syrup, but we're a huge exporter. We're in fact the world's largest exporter of maple syrup products. In one year alone, the sample they're choosing is 2015, Canada exported $360 million of maple syrup. Uh, and that's just exporting. They produced 8,908 gallons of maple syrup, 91% mm. of which was produced in Quebec across 10,847 maple farms. That's pretty significant, right? Uh, yeah, it's a lot. And I mean, I don't think though Canadians, maybe I'm wrong, but sure maple syrup, a lot of maple syrup is produced here. But we have a lot of forests, so. Yeah, it, like, it just makes sense. But I don't think we, at least I don't know anybody who eats more maple syrup than anywhere else in the world <laughs> you would you would think like we probably export a lot of it and and make a lot of it because we have so many forests but wouldn't like you would think russia would have more forests maybe they don't have maple trees yeah i'm sure it's the maple trees but um like again um the only time i feel like people use maple syrup for a lot of different baking and a lot of different you know as an ingredient for a lot of different things but more so than anywhere else in the world i don't i don't know in in this uh, the stats we see here is just how much is um is made in canada and exported but we don't have any number on how much is consumed yeah like does a canadian on average like consume per capita yeah more, more than... maple syrup than let's just say america mm -hmm. yeah that's the real question. So the stereotype. And I'd also be interested to see where it's being used. Like, cause let's say McDonald's, like how many McDonald's restaurants there are in Canada or the U S every kid who gets pancakes or as they call mm -hmm. them, hotcakes, they get their little thing of, uh, yeah, and I assume that's all across America. But then well. again, if you go to McDonald's and you get that pancake syrup, I wonder if there's even maple syrup in that stuff. It's probably well, artificial question. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the jury's out on that one. I don't know if Canadians are seen as maple syrup lovers, but I I'm do... sure that we are perceived that way because mm -hmm. we make so much of it. Um, the next one I think is more accurate, is more um, definitive. Uh, the belief that Canadians are hockey fanatics, love watching it, love playing it. Uh, I enjoy the game. I'm not athletic or into sports in any way, but if the playoffs are on and it's, you know, a tight race for the Stanley Cup, I'm all into watching that. I wouldn't follow it closely in my adult life, but as a kid, I did. As a kid, I played road hockey, like on the street. Mm -hmm. And I would have liked to play like organized hockey on ice. But I think what maybe prevented me uh, from getting into it, it's expensive. Like to play hockey, oh, hockey that's is very super expensive. expensive. Yeah, the gear, you know, the whole thing. The the registration for the league, the get drives to and from mm -hmm. the league with your big bag of gear. Yeah, I, I never got into organized hockey, although no. I probably would have liked to. Uh, do you have any kind of connection to hockey? Does it mean much to you? Well, I could never ice skate, so. Really? Could you skate now? No. Oh, that must Well, be I haven't tried ever to ice skate since I was a kid because I never could. Yeah, so I guess I have a somewhat you... traumatic story about it. I don't know. It's gonna... Let's get into it. I don't know anyone who can't skate. Oh yeah, well sure you do now. Okay, well Me. my I feel better. My son can't skate, and I'm like, am I yeah. failing as a father? So well, see, my dad was never a skater. Mm -hmm. Right, he was never an ice skater. 
Um, so he never took me. So I never learned how as a really young child to, to ice skate. And, but the school would go every year mm. as an activity, like a, an outing, a school trip. We would go to the ice rink and everybody would bring their skates and s- skate around for an hour or whatever it was. And every year when we would go, I would either stay back um, at class with one of the teachers or I would mm. sit in the bleachers and watch. Oh, man, that's sad. And by the time I got to grade six, my teacher who I had at the time had been noticing this trend with me over the years so we were gonna go and i was like so what should i do should i stay here or should i just go and watch the bleachers he's like you know what every year i've been noticing that you either stay behind or you're just watching the bleachers he's like you know what this year i'm taking you on the ice and i was like i don't know he's like get some skates and bring them and i was like okay and he was kind of a strict kind of guy so when he spoke you listened you know i'm kind of portraying him to be quite jovial but it's only because of the way i'm telling the story it was it was very much like you're coming you know okay okay i'll go so i asked i told my dad they're forcing me to skate this year and i need skates yeah i'm like do you have any he's like yeah but they're an old old pair (laughs) and they're gonna be way too big for you but you can have them i said well it's all i got so he gave me these old skates from the early 70s or whatever. They just looked completely beat up. Like if you went to a hockey museum now and you saw the old skates from like the 50s or 60s <laughs> hanging up, like, you know, some famous hockey player from that time's pair of skates hanging up, that's what they looked like. And they were all beat up and no support. And they were massive on me. Like I was in grade six and these are my father's adult size skates. Oh, so I showed up. I laced up and I put them on and I just started walking out literally on my ankles because there was no ankle support whatsoever. It was just all beat up leather. And so I'm walking out, I'm walking out, you know, like, oh my God, this is brutal. And he's like, come on, Aaron, come on, you're doing it, you're doing it. So anyway, I'm just struggling through, like looking like some kind of a, you know, newly born farm animal that's just <laughs> coming out into the world for the first time like uh. and i'm just struggling around the ice struggling and struggling and then finally boom i fall flat on my face on the ice with my hands spread out face first and then a girl skates over my finger oh my <laughs> there's blood everywhere I just lay there. He was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> was like, "What have I done?" <laughs> okay, well, I'm not taking my kids skating. So now. I haven't skated since. Okay, I, I wouldn't make you. I wouldn't encourage you to do it. Then I'd say mm-hmm. at this point in your life, just don't learn to skate. Probably is what's best. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, who knows? I'd be willing to try it again with a really good, strong, supportive pair of skates. <laughs> um, well. Despite you not being able to skate, Canadians do love hockey. Uh, here's a, a stat that I come across uh, that I came across in this article that surprises me, but I'm gonna let's assume it's accurate. According to ESPN, or no, it's not ESPN. Sorry, it's according to Sportsnet, a television station. They reported that three quarters of Canadians watch at least part of the Stanley Cup playoffs in an NHL season. 
based on our population in 2017 when this article was, that would have been 26 million people. Would you say it would be that high? Three quarters? Three out of every four people watched some part of the NHL playoffs? I don't believe it. That's the, that strikes me as high, but maybe yeah. that's coming from something Sportsnet says to their advertisers when they try to justify the yeah, price. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to really see what's behind those numbers. Um, yeah, that that struck me as as a, a little inflated. But here's one that uh, that isn't. This is this is accurate for sure with a debate. Um, as far as attendance of a hockey league, the the team or of a hockey team in the NHL, the team with the second highest fan attendance at, at games is the Montreal Canadiens. They, they see 872,000 people in total throughout a season, which breaks down to 21,808 people per game. Um, they're, they're second place. The people who beat them is just slightly. The people behind them have like 17,000 per per game so mm-hmm. people are coming out to see them but i don't know if that makes canadians hockey fanatics but without yeah like I something probably overall agree with the stereotype that you know if you were to the percentage of canadians that follow hockey versus the percentage in any other country is is probably you know pretty high and follow it intensely yeah yeah um well i'll here... agree with that yeah, I will too. And and I don't think I could use a hard stat to prove it other than just to say there's a culture of hockey fans. And I know that because I often run into people who ask me about the game and I'm just like, oh, here we go. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know what game you're talking about. So the next one, number three on this list of Canadian stereotypes that are in fact true. Uh, you mentioned this at the top. It's that we have cold weather uh, cold air, merciless winters. Uh, it's true. And I'm going to read you a little bit of, of numbers and stats to justify this. Um, the village of Snag in the Yukon holds the lowest temperature ever recorded in in North America. The record temperature was minus 63 degrees Celsius. It took place on February 3rd, 1947. So we have the lowest temperature, but that's based on that one outlier day. Mm-hmm. As far as snowfall, the the greatest single day snowfall in Canada goes to Tasta Lake, BC. It received 145 centimeters of snow on February 11th, 1999. So what I'm, I can't calculate the difference to centimeters to inches, but that's like over waist high, I would think, 175 centimeters. It's, pretty it's a massive amount of snow, but here's my kind of issue with this, though, is they're yeah. just kind of picking parts of Canada that have extreme snow or cold. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's not to say that that is the the constant throughout the entire. Yeah, those country. are those are outliers. Um, yeah, so like to me, it's like like in Nova Scotia, like yeah, so, so parts of our there are times in the winter where it's, where it's very cold, but, but but not much different than Maine. For the most part, like our our yeah, our weather is extremely moderate. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's it it gets very warm in the summer. Like this summer was very warm, and and it gets cold in the winter. Fall is nice, spring is nice. Like it's 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 very normal weather. Yeah, 
and and then we're also a country of like such a large area that if you're talking about cold and you start you know giving these examples from none of it and you know mm-hmm. Yukon and all this stuff you know we see we also have Victoria BC and you know like areas yeah, that yeah. hardly get any snow yeah. uh, or Nova Scotia which again like I said very similar to like Maine or mm-hmm. or whatnot uh, this this number surprised me Environment Canada records more than 80 deaths each year on average attributed to overexposure to cold in Canada. That number, I, I don't know what would be typical. Well, I'm sure, think. I'm sure like, you know, in places like, you know, well, we bring up Russia all the time, but I mean, it gets really cold in Russia. Yeah, seriously. I bet you they get more than 80 So deaths. what are their deaths? Like they're not, the article's not really comparing it to other countries in a way that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, if you depicts Canada as the coldest or they could solve this stereotype by simply taking the average temperature across Canada for a year and comparing it to other countries to see if on average. But if you're if by Canada, you mean Yukon. Yeah, maybe. But for sure. And like, you know, in Ontario, in the wintertime gets very cold. I hate cold. It gets really, really cold. But like. It also, it gets also super gets hot. boiling hot in the summer. Yeah, you can't even go outside. So, there in the you know. Um, so the I don't think the article approaches the data in the right way to prove the stereotype. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think. Yeah, based on that data and just based on my own experiences, I wouldn't say we're any colder than. Yeah, some me parts personally, of the like you and I in Nova Scotia. Like, I'm not a yeah. cold at all right now. No, um, cold-hearted maybe, but not temperature Certainly. cold. But, but yeah, about- our weather here in Nova Scotia is just normal seasonal weather. Um, what about this? We'll move on to the next one. Number four is that Canadians are overly polite, the most polite people in the world. In fact, they're so polite that they'll apologize to you for being so polite. I think some parts of Canada, sure. You go to downtown Toronto, you may not find everybody polite. You go to rural Newfoundland, you know, I bet you people are, how you doing, hon? You know, lots of people calling people hun in the drive-thru in some parts of Canada. Yeah. Yeah, this one is, uh, this one's hard to prove. Uh, well, here's the best way they could How do they do it? Here's what they say is whatever the reason is, Canada has the title as one of the friendliest countries in the world in a, uh, based on a 2016 survey done by a group called Internations. We, um, we actually didn't top the list. We snagged number 12. Um, what do they say here? Oh, and, and what a lot of it comes, it looks like the data they use is a poll of Canadians. 92% of Canadians wow. believe See, that this Canadians is, Again, are this is the problem with this yeah, article. Like, come on, this this is the common thread through all of these stereotypes is the way they try to prove it. Like if you poll Canadians like, hey, do you think, hello, fellow Canadian, do you think Canadians are great? Are Canadians uh, good looking? Yeah. Canadians? 99% of Canadians think Canada's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I, actually, I don't know about that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a high number, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, I That's like, going to hover around. Gonna, that's going to be about 50, i say. 75%. <laughs> yeah. um, Canadians generally are, 
no, I don't know. Gen generally, a lot. I meet a lot of nice people, and I meet a lot of people that I absolutely hate, that are rude and obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also same. You know, it's probably no different. I think than Canadians else. maybe will be polite to your face, and then as soon as you walk away, they'll be like, "That person needs to be in an obesity stock footage." <laughs> yeah. Um. So the next one touches on one of your favorite topics. Uh, number five is that Canadians are addicted to Tim Hortons. <sighs> so here's here's a stat. According to Tim Hortons, about 15% of Canadians visit one of the 3,500 plus Tim Hortons locations in Canada every day. 15% visit every day. I believe that. That doesn't seem high to me. Well, it's just, again, it's the logistical advantage of Tim Hortons. Uh, I don't think the, I don't think the brand still carries the weight that it once did. Regardless of why, though, if 15% or 15% of the country are buying coffee from them once or buying something from them once a day, think of how much money moves through from Canadian pockets through the coffers of Tim Hortons. Uh, here's an, here's another part, uh, another interesting thing. Tim Hortons serves more than 2 billion cups of coffee a year. Yeah. Billion. Two of them. The two billion. That, uh, that makes sense why there are Tim Hortons cups literally everywhere on the ground. Yeah. It's 2 it billion reasons to shut Tim Hortons down. Um, and maybe that's also, we, we've complained about their cups before. Maybe like, I, like just the scale of them maybe they have such cheap awful cups because when you're buying two billion of the things you know you cut some corners you got a crappy cup but you saved you know the difference of two billion i don't know i think 15 percent of the country a day does that if that's true that's pretty nuts it's significant and it shows um, and it shows me how many people we need to reach and wake up to what's going on in our country and you're one of them because you're the person that goes to tim hortons every day <laughs> um so the the coffee one at least for me uh it's true um i believe it canadians for whatever reason we have a connection to tim hortons they have the market because it here. used to be good it used yeah. to be a good canadian product and it's not anymore but by the time it, by the time tim hortons started to decline in quality it was just too late they were yeah. everywhere mm -hmm. um the next one, number six on this list, is one that I can't relate to, but maybe you can add to add a bit more to it. It's that it's that Canadians drink a lot of beer. The way they justify it is that, according to Beer Canada, I've never heard of this. It must be some kind of group related to beer. Canadians per capita um, consume consume on average sixty three point three liters of beer per person. 63 liters of beer per person per year, which puts Canada number 25 on the list of the world's top per capita beer drinking countries. 63 liters of beer is a tremendous amount. Uh, I'm shocked by that because I've literally drank one mouthful of beer, less than one mouthful of beer in the last probably 15 years. Um, yeah, I've kind of switched more to wine than, than than beer. I used to drink a fair amount of beer, but I like, guess there are but some. Not anymore. I drink wine now mostly. Sixty-three liters a year, but I guess if you're a regular beer drinker and you have one beer a day, then and by the end of the year, like you've covered, 
you've made up for me and you and someone else that doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, that number is high. But uh, I guess on a positive note, though, is Canadians typically don't just consume any beer, though. Um, 85% of all beer consumed in Canada is brewed here in Canada. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've, I don't drink beer, don't know much about it, but I was raised to know that, like, American beer, that's awful. You know, everyone, like, it's always... Yeah, American. well, it was always the, you know, the idea was that American beer was weaker than Canadian beer. Yeah, and that's when I used to, when I did try to get into beer, it was American beer I preferred because it was, like, a say, like a Bud Light or a Coors Light was like much waterier and yeah, it was a I lighter it, beer. I found it refreshing. Where then I would have like a Keats or an Olin's or Molson Canadian. I was just like, man, this is disgusting. Uh, I can't get into it, but I get, but I drink coffee and Diet Pepsi like it's going at a style. So I think beer drinkers are probably like, this guy should shut up about beer. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's your own personal taste. That's okay. You're allowed to have that. But you've always drank beer. I've seen you. Yeah, back in the day. Like, I've seen but you drink lately, too much. the past few years, it's it's mostly wine now. Because mm-hmm. I just find beer, just in general, just I'll have one beer every now and then, but I find it heavy and it, and it makes me sleepy. And mm. yeah, I get bloated from it. But But I know a ton of people who are like regular drinkers that would just a regular night where they're sitting home, they would just sit and have, you know, two beer. Yeah. It's nice nice to have one beer every now and then. I still will do that. But, um, yeah, for the most part, I find wine. I go have to go to the bathroom less. It doesn't weigh me down. And it gets me a little tipsier. It makes your lips pink too, right? But wouldn't... wouldn't Well, if you're drinking, like, red wine, yeah. Wouldn't wine have a lot of sugar in it, though? Like, would it mess you up because of that? I and think what the sugar and will they put a tax it. on it in newfoundland i think wine is higher <laughs> sugar because it's a fermented Probably. juice like when you ferment juice it doesn't get rid of the yeah. sugar but i'm sure beer has a lot of sugar in it too yeah um well anyway those are six stereotypes that uh, i guess for the most part are true although yeah there's, I, there's, there's something behind most of them but even the beer thing if we're number 25 in the world why do we have that stereotype then yeah because that's not that high what percentage like because a lot of countries they probably don't even have beer yeah they would have other i would i I would have thought that we'd be higher on that list but we're not so why are we why do we have Mm. that stereotype that we that we drink more beer than well who would be a beer drinking country it's per capita so when you think of other big beer drinking countries i think like the united states england ireland Scotland, mm-hmm. Russia, Germany. Uh, what are some like? Who do you think of as like big beer drinking countries? Other than I, what I listed. Uh, well, I, do, I don't think about it. I guess I mean that's why. <laughs> yeah, but to say we're but to say we're twenty five. I yeah. find that very underwhelming. Yeah, you're right. In fact, I'm disappointed by it. Yeah, beer drinkers need to step it up. Yeah. Even though I, I'm contributing to the problem, I've I've I'm I don't really drink beer anymore. <laughs> um, well, it's either way, those are interesting numbers, uh, interesting data, and it's cool to get into at least one article's justification of why these stereotypes are true. 
but there's too much but much like every coin there's two sides to that one yeah um well let's start wrapping this up aaron is there anything you want to tease or talk about that's coming up for you or your life or this show that you want to get into or do we want to just put all this away let's just put it all to bed uh we will follow up with lobo the donkey if he actually runs we will definitely follow that race closely mm -hmm. uh, we wish a speedy uh, recovery to mr shaker remy shaker yeah we do who is yeah. attacked um we definitely are suspicious of tim horton's involvement to that but the we'll see where that goes and uh people in newfoundland i hope you got some spare change because tax time on your pop aaron until next time until next time jordan uh, let's start drinking beer to get uh, our numbers up i'm gonna stick to the wine i want to thank you for helping aaron and i keep canada weird but let us also call out for your support on our mission. If something unusual happens in your town, let us know. And the best way to let us know is by sending a voice memo via nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. Aaron and I hope to hear from you. But before we do, and before we part tonight, I'm going to give some thanks. A big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A shout out to the internet's favorite cult leader, Unicole, who supplies this series intro and outro voiceovers. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you listen to the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed fund the creation of the show, it'll give you more of each topic than you find in the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and I maintain a full back catalog of episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And on the topic, I want to thank the newest subscribers, Pamela, Lori, Kiersey, and Emily. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it via a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded people know what we're doing here. Now again, if you have any story ideas, want to give feedback on the show, or contribute a voice memo for an upcoming episode, you can do all that more at nighttimepodcast.com. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.